This episode is brought to you in part by Regent College, Vancouver, Canada. Experience God's call to a life more abundant with our one to two week summer courses. Sign up today at rgnt.net slash summer. From Christianity Today, this is The Art of Pastoring. I'm Jared Wilson. And I'm Ronnie Martin. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. How are you doing, Bigar? Hey, Jared C. <laughs> I'm here. I'm doing good because I'm here to talk with you right now about some good stuff. Yeah, I think we're both a little tired. We are. It's been a, it's been a, uh, for me, it's been, uh, I'm, I'm like week four into one of the most exhausting months that I've ever had it doesn't look to lessen so there's some there's some mental kind of grief that goes into that knowing what's ahead of me and what's currently i'm all the things i'm currently involved with so i'm i'm trying to work that i'm trying to work that out a little bit not not doing great with it yeah you know i i learned so we're going out of town next week we'll be in be in florida actually so i'm actually looking forward to that but i've discovered why. like i was always puzzled why people you see those stats that people in america in particular don't use their vacation days yeah. Like no one goes on vacation. I'm like, why is nobody? I'm learning every time, which is <laughs> right. like right now I'm having to do two weeks worth of work in one week so that I can go on vacation next week. Why would I do this you know, right. to myself? Well, it's because of the payoff of, of the break, I suppose. The break that you're going to need a double portion well, exactly. of. Exactly. I mean, like maybe I'd be less tired if I just worked <laughs> one week's worth of work each week and didn't go on vacation, you know? Yeah, for sure. But, but yeah. no, take those vacations, everybody. Take them. Yeah, take for them. sure. Yeah, yeah, you should do that. But you know what also helps when you're tired? A word from the Lord. <laughs> I thought you were going to answer me. I'm looking Dude, at no, you. No, I don't. I don't. I mean, this is you're your like, topic what's and, about to happen, man? Gosh, we got to work on this. It's transition. one of my patented transitions. One of my got to work. Jared sees transition, man. You do so level, well. At so many things, man. Elite level <laughs> segues, guys. If you know Jared like I do, he's so good at so many things. And then there's transitions. <laughs> I mean, we all have the things God's blessed us with, and then we have the things God has not blessed us with. You know? Right. Well, so. but y- you know. What speaks a better word than my transitions? <laughs> that would be God's word. The Holy Bible. Wow. The Holy Bible. No, what I thought we would do for this episode, so we just yeah. had a recent episode on prayer, and I thought we could do an episode on passages of Scripture that have spoken to us, especially in, yeah. in terms of, in the context of uh, pastoral ministry, maybe passages that have informed the way we think about ministry or just so that have encouraged us. Yeah, so we each picked out a couple of passages. I, I, I say we jump right in. Why don't you share yeah. your first passage and kind of why it's meaningful to you or, or how it's helped you? Gosh, yeah. So narrowing it down to two, and this one that popped up when you when you kind of brought up the idea for this topic, these are the two that, that kind of came to mind. The first one is John, John 15, the classic passage about abiding in Christ. And I'm, I've always been struck by the line, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. But it's this line that gets me, which is, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Man, I, there is just, there is something so, like, almost bitterly clear about that line in that it sort of hits, man, all of that self-sufficiency and all of that idea that I can generate content and I can be productive and I can do these things 
Whereas I have a verse here where Jesus is very clearly telling, <laughs> telling us that literally it's just the opposite. All of your production, all of your self-generation, all of your creativity, all of the ministry that you think you've been gifted to do, which by the way, that gifting only comes from God himself. None of it is really able to even be done or accomplished apart from, from Christ and this idea that we need to be abiding in him, this sort of this vine branch connection point. And I don't know, there, there's something so stark about that. And I like it. There's something very black and white about for apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, obviously that, that doesn't mean that we don't, we don't attempt to do things and we can do very many things like on our own strength. I think the greater point here is that we're not going to be doing anything that bears the kind of fruit, yeah. the kind of spiritual fruit that Christ has for us unless we are abiding in, in him. And I just, man, I don't know. I love the clarity of that because it just, it knocks me off my horse. And I actually want to be knocked off it because I don't, I don't want to be that person that is constantly frustrated and exhausted and just running and running and running. And like, you don't even know why you're doing it anymore. And you just lost all sense of like perspective and like, I don't want to be that guy. So a verse like this, it reminds me to not be that guy and to make sure that whatever it is that God has given me to do, man, there's a heart behind that that's being cultivated in Christ in the right way so that the fruit is the right fruit. So I don't know, man. I love that. I love that verse. That one's always just, it's always just crushed me in the best possible way. Yeah. You know, what I like about it, as you mentioned, is that you, you have kind of the black and white of, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's very stark, right? Yeah. It, I mean, the contrast is very stark. But the abide in me part feels a little more, I mean, I don't know, you know, if the word is organic. I mean, organic would work because it's about the vine and the branches, I guess. But yeah, it feels a little more intangible. It's a little more about the experiential Christianity so you have kind of a merging yeah. of this experiential aspect and then a very stark contrast, the beauty of, of that, the way Jesus would kind of put those two things together, I think is really interesting. But in, and, and like you said, it reminds me of just the reality of success apart from Christ is actually failure. Yeah. That anything that you can build up or accomplish on your own isn't even worth attempting anything apart, apart from him. And man, we're seeing ministries that have done that or attempted oh my to word. do that. And, and just these battle and they, towers that come tumbling yeah, down. And gosh, so we're, we're just, we've been given so much sobriety, I think in, in those types of things of which this verse uh, totally speaks into. Right. Yeah. So yeah, for sure. What about you, man? Throw well, one out there. Yeah. So my first one is first Peter chapter five, mm. really verses one through 10. I hope it's okay if I survey, I mean, you know, won't do a commentary on the whole passage. Well, um, we all appreciate that. Okay. I mean, so. <laughs> and I appreciate it as well. But this passage in particular became really helpful and meaningful to me during my pastorate. Inspired, I did actually, I wrote a book where half of it is really kind of a extended exposition of First Peter chapter 5. Hmm. It's not often mentioned along with kind of the pastoral qualifications passages, but it's it, mm. it really is a piece of that, right? So First yeah. Timothy three, Titus chapter one are usually where we go because it has those list of qualifications. We have a a parallel kind of list here in First Peter five, an exhortation 
to elders. And so I always include it in, in my training of, of ministry students. I, I say these are the three passages where the qualifications are found. But what I love about it is unlike unlike 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, it has a more immediate gospel context okay. for these things. So I'll just read through. Yeah, quickly. do it. 1 Peter 5, beginning verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And I'll stop right there because there's some things that I want to say, and, and I'll, I'll reference the second part of the passage as well. But what I love is you have these qualifications, these, these imperatives, don't shepherd out of mm-hmm. shameful gain, exercise oversight willingly, don't have your arm twisted about it, don't domineer. You have the parallel passages to the kind of long-temperedness and not being quarrelsome and being gentle that you see in the other Pauline passages. Yeah. But these imperatives are put between these kind of reminders of grace. So it begins with Peter saying, there is glory that is going to be revealed. That's helpful to know as I'm going through the muck and the mire of pastoral ministry. Yeah. There's glory on the other side of this. And then at the end, he comes back to the same idea. So he's couching the imperatives in the same concept. Verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. He doesn't say, do all these things and you'll have a big church. Do all these (laughs) things and you'll have a book deal. Do all these things and you'll have the favor of all men or whatever, you know, or fat bank account or anything like that. He says, in the end, you're going to get the unfading crown of glory. So Hmm. to me, it was just a great reminder of what pastoral ministry is all about, what I ought to be in it for. Yeah, what I'm actually looking to, what the reward actually is, as opposed to what I want it to be, or or sometimes think it is, and then he comes back to that same concept in in the second part, uh, verses six through ten, at, and, and so I'll just read verse ten. And after yeah. you have suffered a little while, man, is that is that not what ministry is? And after you've suffered a little while, <laughs> well, it's God, just the, the little while is what's strange. Really, right, only yeah. a little while, huh? The God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I just love the whole picture of yeah. what the, you know, how the Lord cares for the pastor and where our hope and, and aspiration ought to be. You, you can endure the suffering. You can go in through the difficulties because that unfading crown of glory is coming. The chief shepherd's going to show up. He's going to say, well done to even the the most meager ministry leader. That to me was just exciting and grounding and helpful. You bring students to that, right? Yes. Is yes. that Yeah, that's amazing. It's funny you mentioned that passage because we open up every elders meeting we have with, with that passage. Oh my, okay. And Very so good. we do it as a way just to, what are we doing here? And we spend some minutes reading through it. And we just, every single time, we just offer some perspectives on it. Hey, what hits you when you read this? And we read it every time. 
Yeah. So it's like, just tell me what hits you right now as we read it. And then we actually pray through it. And that takes up a good portion of the beginning of our, of our elders meeting That's because, awesome. I, you know, yeah. And it, it's just talk about a way to like refocus on what it is that you've been called to do. You know what I mean? And it, and it is, and it has a sense, unlike Timothy and Titus, which is obviously good and instructive, there's almost like a more, there's like a tangibleness to it, right? Yeah. Well, and I just love to know Peter's backstory, obviously, I think, you know, informs this as well. Even for verse one to say, to call himself a witness of the sufferings yeah. of Christ. Yeah. And to say, man, you like, you denied him, you know, Dude. you you weren't really there when Christ was, was crucified, you abandoned him. And so you even have kind of the the, the undertones of grace in this passage yeah. that Peter can say, no, I'm, I'm a fellow partaker of this because of God's grace, because of his restoration, which is why I think it's so notable at the end of that passage in verse 10, where he speaks of restoration and all the things that I think pastors are looking to vindicate them. If I grow a big church, if I have a big following, if I preach a long time, if I do this or that or the other thing, then I will validate my ministry or then my ministry will be vindicated. And Peter's saying, look, look, no, the restoration, confirmation, strength, and establishment you need will come from Christ and and he will do it. So that's certainly good news, even if you do accomplish some of the things you want to accomplish, but it's absolutely good news for every pastor who feels riddled by failure or meagerness or smallness in some sense. Jesus himself mm. is going to validate you in the end. Yeah, that's an amazing that I know that that final verse there in that in that sequence is amazing. Do you think that we see ministries that have collapsed and leaders that have fallen and obviously that gets talked about a lot right now for good reason. I always think at what point in any of our lives or in the life of a, of a ministry or a big ministry, a small ministry, something that functions as an organization, at, at what point, at what point does scripture get abandoned in the sense that, man, to, to read a passage like that, like, dude, you and I just need to read that passage every day. Like there, there's never a day we don't need to read that passage, right? Because it's so grounding and it, it just, it, it commits truth back into our hearts that we forget about 20 minutes after we finish reading it. And that's why we need the constancy of that, especially if we're leading ministries, churches, other leaders. We have to have that reminder in that that grounding. And it makes me wonder, like, man, when are those things, like just the basics of what we're doing right now? We're just reading scripture on a podcast. Like, like what point does that get abandoned where we start to see sort of the collapse of the internal structure of some of these ministries? I don't know. It's just a, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think there's a lot that goes into it, and probably there's a way in which all these collapses are are the are similar, but then there's also ways in which each one is different, has its own it's unique, sort of yeah, idiosyncrasies sure. to it. But yeah. a, a, you know, large part of it is I just an aspect that I don't see talked about enough is how so many of them are, are performative in some way. Yeah, they're yeah. consumeristic products, and so there may even be Bible em, employed in them, but there's not an evident affection for G. This is what I'm looking for in preachers today. And and it, it just seems to come up so much lacking an evident affection for Jesus. Mm. There's a lot of great speakers with a lot of great knowledge, 
Mm-hmm. I can see that they know the Bible pretty well, and I can see that they're smart and are good, good orators and good writers. But I'm missing this evident friendship, affection for Jesus. Yeah. And so I think even using the word, you can end up using the word in such a way that you just know, like, I mean, this is the package. This is what I have to right. present. Right, right. You know, I don't, I think Ravi Zacharias may be a good example of that. Like, he has such a way uh-huh. of, of speaking and the, the logical arguments and everything. And it was, it just became kind of a, a product. Yeah. And so for guys like him and just other preachers, mm. other pastors, you go into this kind of performative mode and the word is meant to go so much deeper. It's not just meant to be something to be used yeah. or like, oh, I got to do this because I know this is what people are expecting or what they want, but it's actually changed you and shaped you, which is why I think these passages are important to point out because these are the ones that have gone deeper for us, right? They're not just... And yeah, there's some interesting sure. theology in this, although there's some fantastic right. theology in it. But but these are passages that have really shaped our hearts and touched our hearts, which is good. This episode is brought to you by Church Law and Tax. Church Law and Tax understands the realities of church work, helping thousands of churches stay informed and get equipped with comprehensive resources on legal, tax, financial, and risk management matters. Do you have a question on housing allowance? Need information on selecting church insurance? Looking for insights on what is or isn't unrelated business income? Or how about some guidance on how to properly receive charitable contributions? Churchlawandtax.com equips you for success with access to the most respected and knowledgeable attorneys, accountants, financial advisors, and risk managers guiding churches today. Get the practical information and timely coverage you need to keep your church up to date and lead your ministry with confidence. Join churchlawandtax.com today. So what's your next one? What's your next passage? I'm a pretty big reader of the Psalms. So I just, I constantly just have a loop through the Psalms going all the time for me because I just, I love it. There's a thing to throw out, isn't it? What's I'm, a, that? I'm a pretty big reader of the Psalms. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did that sound arrogant? That, um. No, well, it, it didn't sound arrogant. It actually sounded like, yeah, who is it, man? <laughs> <laughs> well, I you mean, know what I little book I like to read a lot in the Bible. It's this. It's the book called the Psalms. Well, I don't know. Maybe some people do. I've met. I've met so many people that are like, I have you heard of this Psalms. book? Yeah. It's it's <laughs> it's not Haggai. I mean. <laughs> Judas, I'm a man. pretty, I'm a pretty big reader of Habakkuk. <laughs> you know what's funny, Jared, is I know that you don't read the Psalms as much as me. So, and that's like, probably that's what... <laughs> true, and yet I read them more than any other book. Probably, I don't know. Maybe not you know, every other I, book, but yeah. I wonder if it's something that as we get. Older, Have you heard of this just... thing called the internet? I'm a pretty big user of the internet. <laughs> well, we know you are, buddy. Um, but the, uh, I'm kidding. Okay, I'm um, sorry. I didn't mean to derail you. Yeah, I don't even know what I'm talking about now. But <laughs> You're a big reader of the Psalms. I'm a big reader of the Psalms because, because they've been so helpful to me. And I think as we grow, I, I, think, we, I think the Psalms become dearer to us maybe as we grow in our faith. I, I don't know. I feel like I'm constantly selling the Psalms. I'm pitching the okay. Psalms to people, to my congregation. I preach through the summer through the Psalms like a bunch of times because I just, I feel like I can't get enough of it. But there's one Psalm in particular that really has always stuck out to me, which is Psalm 139, which is this idea of David just being so intimately known by God, created by God to be known by God. 
you know, created by God to be known by Christ. You know, there's all these implications in Psalm 139 that are just amazing. But there's this one part that really helps me when I'm experiencing some, some hard seasons. And it's this verse 11 where it says, If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. And there's just, I I love the poeticness of that. Um, There's just something so, it just feels like a song. It kind of, it it reads like a a song, which it is. The Psalms are the songbook of of God, but it reads like a song. And there's, there's just so much there that you can like tease out and unpack. But I mean, just on the surface of it, just this idea that like God, there is no fog in, in sort of the economy of, of God, right? Like we are constantly in a fog about so many things. We are constantly just immersed in darkness about, man, just things that we, that are hard for us to process based on, man, our lives and the past. We're in the fog and in the darkness about what is around the corner, what's going to happen tomorrow. What am I going to wake up to? And of course, all of this is applied to the way we do ministry and engage with people. And there's just so much unknowingness. There's so much darkness. And there's so much darkness in the sense of it just being, man, there's just, there's, there's so much evil and there's so much wickedness. And all of it just creates a fog and a cloud. And then just for David to acknowledge that, but that's just us. That's not God. There is no darkness for God. Like his light and the brightness of his, of who he is, it just shoots like a laser through all of that. It doesn't affect him. There's nothing that's unknown to him. And all the things that are unknown to us are known by him. And so I don't know. This is one. I mean, the whole chapter is just incredible. Yeah. This 11 and 12, these two verses in particular, man, they just, they just reach inside and they remind you that things are brighter than they appear to be because the one who is there in the middle of it is not affected by the darkness. Mm. And I love that. And I, I just, for a pastor in particular, I don't, man, you're going to be hard pressed to find a more encouraging verse for your dark nights of the soul, right? Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but Rich Mullins did a song where he was pulling from this passage Oh really? Uh, okay. I think it, it, it it's on it's on the Jesus record. I'm pretty sure it's on the Jesus record, and I think it's called "Nothing Is Beyond You," or at least that's part of mm. the chorus. Okay, and and it's, and it's a great song. And in fact, the Jesus record was the one where he did the demos, and then he died before he finished it. So oh, the the, okay. the double album has the one that we got, which is fantastic. It had one disc was all of his demos. So it's like him recording these songs in like the chapel at the Indian reservation where he was ministering. And then the other disc was all of these different friends and artists doing the songs. And and Amy Grant does this song. And it's it's probably my favorite Amy Grant song because (laughs) because it's a Rich Mullen song, I think is probably why. But she actually does it really well. And and I love it. So connected, if you will, just you kind of ended on this note, but Connect it to pastoral ministry a little more clearly, like even for yourself, how has this helped you in, in pastoring? I think the nature of pastoring is that you are, you are operating in the realm of the unknown constantly. Yeah, okay. So, I, I mean, we just have no idea. We have no idea where our church is heading. I know we like to say, we like to use words like vision casting, and we, we do these things that we need to do because we have to... We have to lead. And yet at the same time, we have no clue where anything's going. I know you've experienced 
you know, many of the same things I've experienced that everybody experiences in ministry where I could not see what came. Yeah. And it's, again, because everything in our lives is so unknown. And especially in pastoral ministry, where we carry these particular kind of expectations to the job in terms of how people are going to react and where people are at and what's going on with the church and the life of the church and, and all of these different things. And yet, all it takes is something really to collapse and fall apart that you weren't expecting to realize just how in the dark you really are about what's going on. And this passage, I think, specifically for us and for others, is just a reminder that, man, we can so easily fall into despair if we've taken some hits. And this reminds us that, well, you know what? It's true that you don't know, and there are more things that you don't know than you know. But the most important thing you know is that God is not affected by the unknowns and the darkness because there is no unknowns or darkness within him. And so it it gives us some confidence. It just gives us some hope. So again, it goes back to God's sovereignty where it's like, man, he's with you in this because he, he's, he's ordained it. He know, he knew it was coming. So it's okay that it was dark for you because it's even better that it was never dark for him. And that darkness for you illustrates that it wasn't dark for him. And it just brings you back. It just winds you back to truth. And I need that. I like that. I, you know, that's good. That's so good, brother. Thanks, man. Yeah. So he, he, here's my second one. Yeah. Throw it out there. I want to um, hear it. This is an old Testament passage, just like yours as well. I'm not going to say I'm a big reader of Isaiah, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I do, I do enjoy the book. And why this, did that? Why did that? Hold on, man! I can't. Why did that jack you up? Why did that jack you up? You, it's just, you it's just like, a funny phrase. I'm a big reader like every, of the. You got like everybody's going around reading the Psalms. A big all reader day. of the Psalms. It just struck me funny because literally, I mean, if you like of any book that you could have picked to to make it remarkable that you're a big reader of. I wasn't trying to make it remarkable. I know. It's just. Now. It's just. It just was funny. It struck me as funny because. Everybody reads the Psalms, and that's why. <laughs> well, that's not my been experience. That's okay. not been my experience, it's, and I feel like I'm it, on this other. It's podcast like the Old Testament right equivalent now. of like saying I'm a big reader of John three sixteen, or I'm a big dude. Fan, that's know, crazy, or something being, like that. I don't know. You're literally being crazy, and I feel like I'm doing my other podcast right now. I'm, okay, crazy. I'm very sorry. I'll get I'll get off your back. I I, I want to be I'm a totally place of kidding. grace, and yeah. that's, and this is actually a good segue into this passage. Okay, uh, I, I can't wait to I can't wait to hear the passage, man. Yeah, since so you this, are are a big reader of Isaiah, and Isaiah chapter forty <laughs> verses one and two. Yeah, and Isaiah forty is like I heard Ray Orton describe it this way once. He said, "If the Bible was an hourglass, Isaiah forty is where is the center of that hourglass, where the sands are dropping through oh, wow. to accumulate." And I love that. It's like the and I actually drew a little hourglass in my ESV journaling Bible on the side of, of this passage because it marks a turning point and it's like where now things are beginning. The door, the closed door is 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 cracking open in Isaiah 40. Okay. Now I use this passage to typify or to or to say to my ministry students how especially their preaching, but but their their ministry in general. We kind of drill in on preaching their ser- the Sunday sermon. People come into the gathering, and they're they're weary and beleaguered from the week. Yeah. They're looking for a word from the Lord. They may not be thinking that consciously, but they're there to hear from God. What should characterize the kind of thing that they should hear? Hmm. So from the sermon to the counseling room, discipleship, encounter, Bible study, all of that. 
the pastoral ministry, the shepherd is to, first one, Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. I love this because mm. it, it, it reminds me and drives me in my preaching in particular, but also in my writing and, and other things. I think, what do I want to be known for? What do I want yeah. to, as people are going to ostensibly hear from God, if I'm, if I'm preaching the word, if I'm just giving my own thoughts, they're not hearing from God. But if I'm preaching the word, what do I want them to mainly encounter? Not any kind of moralistic scolding, not even any kind of moralistic inspiration. Mm. I don't want to be an inspirational pep talk giver. I want to tell them the good news, that there is forgiveness of sins, that the striving for righteousness is over. He has accomplished it. Christ has finished the work. The warfare is over. I, I want to be a tender speaker. I want to bring comfort to people. I, I want my words to be adorning the word of comfort from mm. the good news. And then even this receive from the Lord's hand double for all her sins, I, I, I think is can be a good application towards the fullness of the gospel that you don't just receive forgiveness, but you also you receive the gift of imputation, right? You're counted righteous in Christ. Yeah. So not just a blank slate, but actually being clothed in the perfect obedience of Jesus that's part of the good news. So it's mm. double. You receive double more than what you even expected. I just love the passage. I love the exhortation to shepherds to comfort God's yeah. people and to announce. I, I just think that's what I want to send people away with. If I'm preaching a text that has both imperatives and gospel proclamation in it, I want to end or, or, yeah. or at least or at least emphasize the gospel proclamation so people leave having experienced the the comfort of grace. And doesn't that, I mean, uh, what struck me hearing you say that, man, is it doesn't take a lot of, maybe a lot of the undue weight that we put on ourselves as preachers, thinking that we need to say this or we need to say that. And really what you're doing is you're saying, yeah, okay, we don't want to miss everything that needs to be said, but there are certain things and there is a certain kind of tone that we always want to come in and make sure is being accounted for with whatever the passage is, whatever it is that we're given to, to preach that particular morning. And, and I, I feel like what this does is it, it, it kind of simplifies what, what we tend to make complicated at, at times, right? Yeah, it's such a good reminder and redirective, especially yeah. because good pastors care about their congregations and want them to experience change. They want them to experience transformation repentance of sin, but also just relief from their problems and good ways to address their felt needs. We just care for people and the kinds of things that they care about. So we yeah. want them to repent of sin, but we also want them to be to experience the consolation mm. um, that, the, that the Lord has for them. But we tend to think the way that they experience that is through steps, tips, instructions, yeah. and the dynamic in the New Testament, especially, that tells us how people change how they're transformed, how they're made more like Christ, is through the announcement of the gospel. Mm. You know, that's the gist of this whole gospel-centered thing, is that the way people come to be good obeyers, but also mm. experience 
maturation, growth and maturity, is through being confronted with the glory of Christ. So mm. it's, it's just a, another good reminder for me that I want my message to be characterized more by it is finished rather than yeah. mm. get to work. Get to work is an important message, but I want to be characterized. I want the dominant message to be it is finished. Yeah, dude, that sums it up. I think that says it all. Well, good. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm a big reader of It Is Finished, I guess I should say. You know what? We're going to fight about that here in a minute when we, when we shut down the I'm pod, sure there will be uh, something said yeah. in the, uh, the, the text thread with the wives. I'm sure there will be something. Oh, it's going to be great. I'm going to wait for your wife to bring this one up, though. Oh, your okay. wife, Becky, right. Becky, yeah, Becky C. Wilson. So. <laughs> <laughs> After she listens to the episode. You know, she's a big listener of the podcast. I know. Yeah. I know she is. She comments she on it like every time. She might listen to it more than you read the Psalms, which is a lot. That's unbelievable. Because you're a big reader. I want you to end this right now. Okay. You've been listening <laughs> to The Art of Pastoring. Open now the crystal fountain Whence the healing waters flow Let the fiery cloudy pillar If you're liking the show, please take a minute and give us a rating and review in iTunes. It helps other people find us. You can find Ronnie and me on Twitter at, at Ronnie J. Martin and at Jared C. Wilson. Feel free to hit us up with questions and potential topics for the show. We'd love to hear from you. The Art of Pastoring is a production of Christianity Today. It's produced by Mike Cosper, editing by Mike Cosper and Aaron Leslie, mixing by Aaron Leslie. Our theme song is Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah by Jeremy Casella. This episode was brought to you in part by Just These Guys, you know? A pastor and a psychologist team up to break down scripture and psychology, empowering you to transform by the renewing of your mind. Listen today at justtheseguys.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Just These Guys, you know?